Please open your scriptures today to the fifth chapter of the gospel according to St. Matthew and verse 6. This will be the 20th message in our series on the Sermon on the Mount and will be the concluding message on the fourth of the Beatitudes. The fourth Beatitude, which we have been studying now for several weeks, reads such as these words. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. We have spent now several weeks in going through the study of the fourth Beatitude. And today we'll be speaking again on the subject in relation to this of spiritual fulfillment. How to find satisfaction with the things of Christ in the gospel. And I want to today to give first a relationship between God's blessings of grace. Notice the word blessed are they. The hungering and thirsting, which are the spiritual appetites and the spiritual fulfillment, which comes in being filled. There is a relationship between these three factors, God's blessing of grace, a spiritual appetite, and spiritual satisfaction. They're like three links in a chain, and the first link comes in the proper order. God's grace takes the initiative. It creates in us a hunger and a thirst for the salvation that's found in Christ. And then that created thirst and hunger is satisfied by more of God's grace. So let's look at these. We've defined them. Let's briefly go through them again and see what, first of all, spiritual fulfillment is when our Lord promises that they shall be filled. We've tried to set forth this definition of what spiritual fulfillment is or satisfaction. It is the satisfaction which comes to a person when the desires of the heart after righteousness are fulfilled or obtained. Then secondly, the definition that we've tried to establish as to what hunger and thirst or spiritual desires actually are. A spiritual desire is the conscious awareness rather, of a desire within my heart to be a partaker and receive of the full salvation that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we sang about a moment ago, we want that blood to pardon us of our sin, and we want that same blood to cleanse us of our sin. We want the full salvation that's found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Justification, sanctification, and one day glorification, the hungering heart is seeking after all of the salvation that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The heart is not content just to be pardoned. The heart wants a heart like Jesus Christ to be able to fellowship and enjoy the communion of the Father. And thus we hunger after that on a daily basis. Then God's blessing of grace. How does this relate? 
to spiritual fulfillment and spiritual desire. This God's blessing of grace that our Lord is pronouncing here is the Spirit of God in the regeneration of the human soul, which creates in us the very desire to be saved by the righteousness of Christ. In other words, my hunger and thirst after salvation did not originate in what was left over of old Adam's nature. There was a new creation of God that spoke and created the very desire and planted it within the soil of my nature that enabled me to hunger and thirst out after God, and God then promised he would satisfy anyone that's hungering and thirsting after him. Well, having seen this relationship that our Lord is setting forth, what is the fatal error which our Lord is trying to deal with? He's setting forth here the people who are the citizens of his kingdom, but each one of these Beatitudes is designed to offset some fatal understanding which his hearers had embraced. And we've dealt with each one of these thus far in the previous three Beatitudes, and this Beatitude has also an error which our Lord is dealing. Now, what is this error which was present in the minds of his hearers in which he was trying to correct? Now, let me give it to you, and then we'll be expounding upon it through the remainder of the message today. This fatal error which had infiltrated the minds of the hearers of our Lord was their desire to find satisfying happiness in the things of the created world rather than in seeking righteousness in their Creator. Now, let me say that again. Their hearers, or the Lord's hearers, through their physical birth, had become deceived in the thinking they could find happiness by possessing things rather than the Creator. And our Lord was offsetting this in His teachings. Now, in order to understand this capacity for happiness that all of us long for, we need to understand again a little bit about our very makeup, what kind of creatures we are. When God created man... Man was given a capacity for possessing happiness. And every man seeks out after that happiness because he has a capacity to be happy. He was created in the image of God as an individual who was able to reason and to think for himself. And while we would not try to draw some little compartment within man where it says that this is happy, for sake of allegorical comparison, we might say that when God created man, he created man with a compartment that enabled him to be happy. He had a capacity to be happy. But when God created man, he did so in such a way as to allow man to be happy only so long as man was righteous or holy. 
He created man to glorify his Creator. And man was to be a righteous man. By that, he was to delight in the will of his Creator. He was not to disobey his Creator. But he was to find the satisfaction which God had created him to be enabled to partake of in doing the will of his Creator. This was a governor that was put on man, just like you put a governor on a motor, that it can only run so fast. God created man with a capacity for happiness, but he cannot be happy unless he's holy and righteous. Well, we know what happened. Satan knew what the nature of man was. And he knew that man had this inherent created ability to find satisfaction and happiness. So the devil came and he tempted man. And he said, now, if man really loved you, or rather, if God really loved you, he wouldn't have restrained you in the fashion that he has. He wouldn't have made you where you only can be happy by serving him. He's not interested in your happiness. Look at all these things in the creation. Get your happiness out of that. Make yourself God. Make up your own rules and make all of these things serve you rather than you serving God. And so, Satan used the capacity for man's happiness to tempt him to leave the obedience to God and to embrace something found in the creation with the hope of gaining more happiness. Now, when man sinned, and this is an important point, when man sinned, his nature was changed. He no longer had a desire for righteousness and holiness, but he did not lose his capacity for happiness and to be satisfied. He still has that longing for satisfaction, but he has a nature which no longer seeks to have that longing satisfied by serving the will of God. Well, how does man now seek to satisfy this appetite? And the Bible tells us he does it by seeking after things that please him in the physical creation. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1, and you have a whole description in that first chapter there of the description of the human race and its fall into sin. Romans chapter 1, reading but one verse out of this chapter in verse 25, speaking of the nature of man, which every one of you possess, including myself through our physical birth, who changed the truth of God into a lie. Now, what was God's truth? That he's God. And the only way man can be happy is to serve God. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. Now, here's what man did. And God allowed him to do it. And the more man des desires to find satisfaction in the creation, the more God will just turn him over to that, to do the things which are convenient. Unless in mercy God comes 
and captures the heart of that person and creates them anew and turns them back to that holy place where man is supposed to be. Look also in the book of Second Timothy, chapter 3. This person called man now then is seeking after satisfaction in the things of the creation rather than the Creator. And Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 says that they are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Man now is a pleasure seeker. Why is he a pleasure seeker? Because he still has that capacity to find his longings to be satisfied. But he's no longer seeking out after God to satisfy them. He's seeking after the temporal pleasures of the creation to find satisfaction. Our Lord's hearers were influenced that the truly blessed man is the man who is gaining much in this world, who's having to tear down his barns and build bigger barns. He is the man who thinks that it is a mark of God's blessing upon a person if that person has much material gain, as opposed to God blessing that person with a desire to be an obedient servant unto him. So this was an error which our Lord was dealing. Now, we might illustrate this error, how it has affected man's nature, and how man still has a capacity for satisfaction only he's getting it from other sources, by that of the appetite which a fish has. Now, when I go down here on the river and I'm going after that fish, by my very knowledge of that fish, I know that by nature that fish has an appetite for worms. Now, I don't have to spend a whole lot of time trying to create that appetite. That's a natural thing. It's already there. As that fish is swimming up and down the river, he has an appetite for worms. Now, all I have to do is to take advantage of that natural appetite. He's going up and down those banks and bumping around the drifts and so forth, trying to find something which will satisfy his appetite. And because I know that he already has that appetite, then all I have to do is to deceive him by putting a little hook in that worm so that when he comes along, he says, Aha, there's my dinner. And he acts naturally according to his appetite. And then instead of him getting his dinner, why, the Baptist pastor gets his dinner. But let's suppose that that little fish or that fish had been told by its mother, now come here, son. Now you're just a little minnow right now. There's some things I need to tell you about. You're going to find... At certain times of the day, you're going to have an appetite and there's going to be a gnawing that you're going to want satisfied. And you're going to find there's a lot of little things out here in the river that are there and they'll satisfy you. And they're legitimate. You go out there and you find one of those worms and that'll be just a natural thing. Your appetite will go out and you'll start wanting that worm. 
But son, let me tell you something. There's a Baptist preacher in this portion of the woods or of the river that he loves to put little hooks in a worm. And whenever you see a worm looking like this, you better stay away from it. And so that little fish has been explained, had explained to him what his physical functions are. And then he's told that there's an enemy out there which is designed to take advantage of those very physical functions. So he's swimming up and down the river one day and he's just eating the worms right after another. And he's finding satisfaction. And all of a sudden he comes up under a brush pile and there's a worm he's never seen before. And it's shaped like that in the form of a hook. And something begins to register. And he says, well, wait a minute. It seems like my mother told me something about that. It looks all right, but it looks different. It smells the same, but it's different. Well, I don't know. Maybe mom didn't know what she's talking about. And boy, I'm so hungry. I, I don't believe that any, there'll be anything that will come of it. And so that fish takes that thing in its mouth. Mmm, that tastes so good. Mom was wrong. Starts off back down the river. Well, where can I find me another worm? And just as that fish is ready to gulp that thing down into its gullet, it suddenly feels a sharp pain as the hook is set in its mouth. And all the way to the bank, that fish is kicking and squirming. Oh, my. Mom was right. Mom was right. Now, I took advantage of that fish. I didn't have to be greatly intelligent. All I had to know is that by nature, that fish had a capacity that could be satisfied. And our enemy, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion using the same old tricks he's used from the foundation of the world in that he knows that God created us with a capacity which we want to find satisfaction. Only God has warned man. Now listen, here are some things you stay away. You watch out for those hooks. I've created you with a capacity to find physical gratification for what is called your sexual desires. But wait a minute. That's to be found within the framework of marriage. And watch out for the hook. You may think as you're partaking of that, ah, oh, my mom was wrong, dad, God was wrong. But my friend, there'll come a day in which that will come back and you'll feel the depths of God's sword by your own act. That is, your own correction will come upon you. And God has given this for our good because He created us with the capacity to find satisfaction in His Word, in His will, and all of these pleasures that He has here for us. They're for our good and for His glory. But He says, you watch out, there's somebody else in the universe that's going to use them and misuse them and tempt you to use them for some other purposes other than my glory. And so man fell. And you and I are fallen creatures today. And man is forever thinking. 
I have this capacity. It's longing. I'm hungry. I need to find satisfaction. And he's running from one form of pleasure to another. He's running from the movie. He's running to the ball game. He's running to the seashore. He's running to the swimming pool. I've got to be satisfied. I've got to be satisfied. And he's running and running and running. And the more he runs, the weaker he becomes. Now, what's the problem? He's seeking out after happiness rather than righteousness. He cannot find satisfaction without obedience or holiness to the will of God. Now, Jesus taught this in this same sermon. If you'll go with me to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31 through 33. Jesus set this forth. And he warned his hearers to get the order in proper shape. He says in verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith or shall we be clothed? Now those are the three basic necessities of life. We have food, we have drink, and we need clothing. Jesus says, Don't concentrate on those things. Now why? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. And the Gentiles were those who knew not God, the heathen. They weren't atheists. They were seeking out after the things that God had made in the creation. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. He created you with a capacity to find satisfaction in eating, drinking, and putting on apparel. These are natural things, but don't let them be the chief pursuit of your life, which you think are essential in order for you to be happy. But what are we to do? Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, what is it? Righteousness. And all of these things shall be added unto you. Now, you see the order? That's what man, Adam, was doing before he fell into sin. Was here to seek God and to please God. And all of the things in the creation were here at his disposal to use as God ordered them to. And to find satisfaction and happiness in them. But the devil came along and he took some good thing and he put a hook in it. And he says, now use, swallow this. And man's still swallowing that same hook. The devil doesn't have to come up with any new designs. All he has to do is use the same old one. And poor, foolish people such as we, we continue to swallow, 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 thinking that we're going to get more happiness and satisfaction, and we end up with less and less. So Jesus taught that in order to be happy, a person must first be righteous. But we do not seek happiness, we seek righteousness, and while we are seeking, we stumble over and find happiness. As I'm seeking and I'm going back to the back of the auditorium today, and there's something back there which I want, and that is called righteousness, obedience to the will of God. While I'm running back there, I stub my toe and I look down and I find it's happiness. It's giving me satisfaction. As I seek to please God, I'm in return finding 
happiness. But the Gentiles have it all backwards. They think that they can, if they seek out after pleasure and happiness, they'll get it. But Jesus did not say, happy is the man who's seeking happiness. Happy is the man who's seeking righteousness. For he shall be filled and seeking the kingdom of God first. All of these other things shall be added unto you. And you shall find satisfaction for your life. Well, how does this error carry over into the modern church since we are separated some 2,000 years almost from the time in which Jesus sat there on the mount and taught his hearers? Has this same error carried over into our modern Christianity? And we think it certainly has, particularly in what is known as modern evangelism. The way in which people are exhorted to become a disciple of Jesus Christ in this present day and age. The modern evangelist comes across to his hearers in this fashion. Are you unhappy? Come to Jesus and he'll make you happy. Now, what does he mean? Are you seeking happiness? Come and use Jesus to get your happiness. Now, if you'll note the worm in that, that may sound like there's nothing wrong with it. That may sound right. What's wrong with that, Pastor? Remember what the mother fish told the little worm, or told the little fish, rather. You have a natural capacity which you long to have satisfied. But watch out, there are some worms around. And the Bible tells us that the devil not only comes as a roaring lion of wickedness, but he comes as ministers of righteousness in men which are sincere. But yet in their message they have a hook in it that they may not even understand it's in there. We do not seek Jesus for our own happiness' sake. We seek Jesus for righteousness' sake. Are you in trouble in your business? You're about to go under financially. Come to Jesus, and He'll make you the best businessman in town. You want to be a great football player? Come to Jesus, and he'll make you a great football player. You want to be popular in the field of music, the movies? Come and become a Christian, and Jesus will help you get there. And the way that the gospel is so-called presented today is whatever the natural longing is in the heart, then Jesus is offered as some big psychologist to take care of that longing. But you say, Pastor, then the Bible says, say to ask, and whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Yes, it certainly does. And the same Bible says, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And it also says, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. But he didn't never promise to grant the desires of a natural heart which does not delight in righteousness. 
So what is being presented today is that whatever people, their state they're in, if they're sad, come to Jesus, he'll make you glad. And that is being swallowed right and left throughout our land today as being the gospel. And yet none of this does our Lord pronounce blessing upon. The only blessing which he has pronounced that he will satisfy is the heart who wants the full salvation that's in Christ Jesus. And when that heart seeks out after that, they'll find that the other things God has appointed for them in their life fall right into shape. So may I exhort you, particularly your young people, to watch out even in sincerity, when you go and you listen to someone on TV or at a large rally and that person is a football player and you're really influenced because you love football and they say, now, I used to didn't be a very good football player, but when I become a Christian, here's what Jesus made me. And you're wanting to be the greatest football player there is. And so you say, well, if he did that for him, he'll do it for me. And so you use Jesus to get a little popularity. You can't do that. You cannot use Jesus for your own means, for your own ends. The only thing Christ offers is righteousness and holiness, obedience, grace to be able to do his will. The books that I read today would indicate that if Jesus Christ were here, that there's no way that he could fail to be the top wanted the business, he'd be the president of the bank. There's no way but what he'd be the outstanding quarterback, the outstanding center, that he'd be a 20-game winner if he played on the ball team. And so people are being taught today that, well, here, I've tried this, I've tried that, now try Jesus. Try Jesus. Bumper stickers to that effect. Tried everything else, try Jesus. Hmm? And so, well, now that's, that's got the worm in it. It's got the worm in it. What are you looking for in Jesus? Are you looking for something, some way you can grab him and squeeze a blessing of popularity out for yourself? And my friend, it won't be offered in Christ Jesus. And may I say to you with convincing of my heart that it's so, this is the reason why we have so many people make initial confessions of faith and then they don't find any satisfaction in what they were told that they would find. You come to Jesus and 30 days later, I'm not the best football player on the team. Well, the preacher told me wrong. I tasted and I didn't like what I tasted. He didn't give me what I was looking for. Maybe you were looking for something that he didn't promise you he'd give you. Hmm? He has promised to give you righteousness and all of these other things as you are seeking out after him. But when you try to use God and Jesus Christ as a means to squeeze out some of his blessings, and you love the blessings of God more than you love the Creator himself, and you can rest assured there's a worm in that, and Satan is using even the preaching of the gospel to catch in people's jaws and lead them away 
from the true salvation that's in the Lord. So here I come along, or others come along a year or so later. We call on this individual and we say, we'd like for you to come to church. Oh, well, I used to go to church. You used to? Oh, yes, I I used to be a member there at the First Baptist Church. Well, why don't you go anymore? Well, I just didn't get what I was wanting. Hmm? Well, let me show you what... Oh, I've already been through that. I've already prayed the sinner's prayer. I prayed the prayer of the publican. I've already gone through the baptismal waters. Didn't do any good at all, preacher. Just go on somewhere else. And they think that they've been given a rubber nickel. And they probably have. Because what they were promised was not what Jesus Christ promised. And what they were hungering for was not holiness and righteousness and obedience to the will of God and grace to do it. They were hungering after something that they got depressed one day and they got a little blue. The sun didn't shine that day and they got a little self-centered and discouraged. And somebody came by and said, take Jesus and you'll be happy today. Well, I'll try that. Works for a while until the sun goes down behind the next cloud and it doesn't work anymore. And then they think somebody's played a trick on them. Well, you see, the same error that Jesus was having to deal with is the same error we're dealing with today. Let me give you an illustration of this also. And since we're dealing, uh, seem like, with, uh, with athletics this morning, we'll use it in that, in that light. Suppose that you were one of the star halfbacks on the football team. And you, your stanima was strong. You were quick. And when that ball was handed off to you, why, before that line could close, why, you were right through the hole in the defense. As the season wore on, why, suddenly you began to find something going wrong. That just before the hole, or before you hit the hole, it's suddenly it's closing up. And there are some big tackles there waiting for you. And you say, well, I don't know what's going on. Something's wrong. I'm losing my stamina. I'm losing my quickness. Now, what I need to do is go out and I need to run another 20 laps around the uh, football field to get my stamina back. I need to do some push-ups or pull-ups and need to lift some weights. I know something isn't right. And in order to get back my strength, which I know I'm lacking now, I'm going to do more things to get it back. And so you go out and you do more and more of those calisthenics. The next game comes. And this time you're not even getting to the line of scrimmage. Instead of getting through the hole, now then those tackles are coming through and meeting you in the backfield. And you're getting weaker and weaker, yet all the time you have a conscious awareness that I've got to find satisfaction. Something's wrong. But instead of seeking the real cause, why you think if you do more calisthenics and more of this and more of that, you'll get your strength back. And finally, there comes a day in which you can't hardly get out of the bed. And your coach comes and he says, now, son, I think it's time that we go to a doctor and get you a physical examination see what the problem is. So you go, and after several x-rays and different physical tests, after a couple of days, you're called into the doctor's office. And that doctor doesn't meet you with a great big smile on his face. 
He doesn't meet you and say, well, everything's rosy, just smile, everything's going to be all right. No, that doctor says, son, sit down a minute. We've got a serious conversation to conduct. And he says, everything checks out all right in your body except one thing. Right at the base of your neck, there's a tumor that's growing there. And it's paralyzing all the nerves of your body. I said, son, this is what's causing you to lose your strength. He says, I can't promise you that what the outcome will be. But he says, your only hope is to have that tumor removed. If you don't, you'll be dead in six months. Now, it's the role of that doctor to be honest with that young man. It is not the role of that doctor to tuck him under the chin and pat him on the back and say, I don't worry about it. Everything's going to be all right. Everything will be fine. Just get right back out there and do the best you can. Everything will work all right in the end. No doctors aren't called to do that. They're called to look a person in the face and say, you've got a problem. You've got a problem. And there's an answer, but it's a serious one. And it will require radical measures to be taken. Now, what would you do? Would you trust yourself to the hands of that physician? Or would you just try to go on and convince yourself nothing's wrong with you? And go out and say, I know something's wrong, but I'm just going to find satisfaction somewhere else. No, my friends, you trust yourself to the hands of that physician. And my hearers today, there's something wrong with man's nature. Your satisfaction is not finding fulfillment. And you're always having to look elsewhere and feel yet unsatisfied. And I'm not called as a messenger of Jesus Christ to put my arm around you and say, Look up, cheer up, better days are come. No, I'm called as a physician of Jesus Christ to say there's a problem. It's a serious problem. It's the tumor of sin that's paralyzing your very capacity to find satisfaction. And the only way that tumor will be removed is by your Creator doing a heart transplant on your very life and creating a new desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm not called upon to pat you on the back and say everything's going to be all right. You know better than that or you'd never come to me to begin with. I talked to a young man the other night about 10.30 or 11 o'clock in my office back here, say a young man around 26, 27. He explained that how about 10 years ago he'd come over here into this area and asked, called upon a particular minister in this community. He said, something's wrong with me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I wonder if you could help me. And the minister said, well, it's this way, son. A lot of people are saved and don't even know it. 
And all you need to do is just come be baptized and join the church. He said, I listened to that. And he said, it wasn't until about a year ago that God opened my heart to show me that I was a sinner and I was on my way to an eternal destruction in spite of my baptism. My friend, you'll know it when you're lost. And you'll know it when you're converted. These are not unconscious awarenesses such as breathing. These are very conscious things which we experience. And before God ever brings a person to the satisfaction of knowing they're standing righteous in his sight, he'll bring them down and make them see the tumor that is going on in their system. And that's why that many individuals won't come to Jesus Christ as the great physician, because when he tells them about their tumor, they'll go somewhere else, join a religion, and perish. The false prophets were always guilty of comforting without dealing with the problem. And we would not allow a doctor to maintain his license if he knew that that young man had a tumor on his brain and he sent him home with two aspirins and told him to drink plenty of orange juice. And yet we will tolerate so-called ministers within the church that will tuck people under the chin and say, Smile, not much wrong with you. You're probably already saved and don't even know it. And my friend, just as that doctor is a butcher of physical bodies who will not deal with the problem, modern evangelism butchers up the souls of young people, boys and girls, men and women, by never explaining to them there's a tumor of sin and they must have the great physician come and remove that. So the same error that Jesus was dealing with is the same error we're having to deal with today. May God search our hearts today, and may we be able to leave as a person standing in his righteousness, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. May God enable us to do that. And if you're troubled in your mind today and feeling, I may not have this righteousness, oh, that may be the first mark of God creating within your heart the desire to be filled with the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Come today, come to the fountain so rich and sweet, cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet, plunge in today and be made complete, and give the glory unto his name. But don't try to avoid the tumor. Come and say nothing in my hand I bring simply to thy cross I cling. And I come not only for pardoning, but I come for cleansing. I come for all the blessings that you have for me in Christ Jesus. And the very fact that you have that hunger and that desire is an indication that while you were talking with the preacher, the great physician had performed his operation upon your soul. And now the gospel becomes good news. Come and go away filled.
That's the way God saves sinners. Let's stand together.